Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Greetings listeners, this is Movie Oubliette, the equator-enveloping movie review podcast with me, Dan, revisiting my EP I started in 2020 down here in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> and me, Conrad, getting addicted to Lego in Cambridge, UK. Mm, uh, we discuss all things genre film, fantasy, sci-fi and horror, because futuristic nightclubs, evil crime bosses and clones on the moon is where we'd like to be. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Conrad. Of course. Hello, Dan. How are you feeling now? Are you all better? Oh, yes, yes. COVID. So it's really funny uh, listening back to that last episode we recorded because it was pre my symptoms. So I was feeling chipper. Mm. I was like, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. Next day, <laughs> got slammed with a freight train of, of COVID symptoms. I was bedridden. I couldn't talk, oh, wow. I could barely eat, my throat was like razor blades, um, my head was just a throbbing migraine, and that lasted uh, oh. three days, but it was three days of just misery. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's crazy, um, you, you're just feeling like complete shit for a couple of days, and then you just get better, and then yeah, I was just better after that and then um, the cough kind of lingers and it's still kind of there a bit of a tickle at the back okay. of my throat but yeah I'm all, all good now but yeah th three days of uh yeah misery not so fun no was it so bad that you couldn't sort of like binge watch things on tv and so on that we, yeah. was it so that you couldn't really concentrate on anything well it's just the headaches the headaches just yeah so uh, you couldn't do anything. Like I, I just slept uh, pretty much for two yeah. days. I just went to bed and just slept as much as I could. Um, lots of paracetamol, tons of tea. I drank so mm. much tea. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, I got better, so that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you're better. Thank you. Uh, meanwhile, uh, <laughs> you've been getting into Lego. Yeah, I know. It's it's a very expensive, ridiculous hobby to do. But I got a Lego set, and I found that after work, just having some instructions and clicking little bricks together yeah. is really relaxing. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. There's just something that's calming and focuses the mind on something sort of, mm, mm. Uh, I don't know, uh, tactile. And I don't know, it just puts me in a zen-like state that lets all of the troubles of the workday just drift away. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So far, I've built the Batman Batmobile and now I've got the DeLorean. I did the Millennium Falcon oh, wow, done the a other few week. <laughs> I've done a few, but the trouble is they're like £100 per box. It's oh, like wow. not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not cheap at all. So do so. you have them in a like a display cabinet? <laughs> no, this is the thing. I've got no room to display them at oh, all. Oh, wow. So okay. I've, I was actually looking to see whether there's such a thing as a, a subscription Lego library. And wouldn't you know it, there is. Oh. So you can subscribe. They send you the box with the set in. You build it. You look at it, you go, hey, that was nice. And then you pull it apart, put it back in the box and send it back. And if it weighs the same, then they send you the next one. If you haven't wow. lost any pieces, they just send you another one. And I thought, this is ideal. I got to do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're, you're, not, you're purely uh, enjoying it for the process and not the finished product. Yeah, for me, oh. it's just following instructions and building something and having that sense of, can you tell what it is yet? To quote Wolf Harris, just sort of trying to figure out <laughs> what is this going to be? What part of it is this? And then you find out and you put it together and you look at it and you go, oh, that's nice. And then after that, it's just like, I don't want to keep this. <laughs> Why have I got this? So I always end up eBaying them. Whereas really? if there's a library service, 
That sounds like a much better idea to me. Oh wow, it's really interesting for me. Uh, it's, it's like a painter that paints something and then it's like, all right, throw it in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's just the process. I just find it really relaxing mm. and, and satisfying, and just the noises of the bricks going together. I guess is sort of like ASMR. It's a click, click. Ah, I don't know. Okay, okay. I find it really enjoyable. Yeah, as a way of, yeah. to wind down at the end of the day. But I have no desire to keep them afterwards. Just none. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I guess a similar thing for me is I, I'm, I've been chipping away at my EP again that I started back in yes. 2020. This, this. Uh, music that I'm eventually going to release into the world. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been great getting back into it. Um, sort of, I've honed my skills in, in the three years as well. So I'm much better at mixing and recording than I was. I'm get, I'm roping in even more collaborators mm. on the EP, which is probably going to be an album at this rate if I'm getting all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> and you are going to be on a track as well. I am, yes. I'm going to start lyric writing this weekend. Ooh. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, yes, yes. It's nice. I'm hoping to do more music this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so watch the space, listeners. Uh, you're, you're going to hear Conrad singing on a track. So, Me singing. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, for a change, not not just for silliness. Wow. I don't know. Silliness is fun too. <laughs> uh, talking well, of any silliness in the mailbag today, what what have our listeners been talking to us about? <laughs> well, you'll be surprised to hear, Dan, that the 2000s Dungeons and Dragons movie did elicit quite a bit of silliness. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> in our mailbag, uh, Reese Indigo said, "So glad Movie Oubliette is in agreement with basically everyone, including <laughs> Is It Camp podcast." Uh, which I haven't checked out yet. I must check it out. They also did an episode at the same time ah, okay, uh, yeah. about the 2000s Dungeons and Dragons movie, just a disaster of a film <laughs> that isn't even entertaining in how bad it failed. Mm. But I still love Jeremy chewing those scenes. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, wow, those scenes are <sighs> a sight to behold. They really are. Yeah, he chews. Showing off his British teeth, yeah. It's quite something. <laughs> it wasn't unanimous, though. Queen of Jam said, I loved this film. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no. notice it was the past tense. I loved. Oh, okay. So I've asked if she still does. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. She hasn't checked it out recently. <laughs> Uh, our good friend Matt Swafford at Endless Bullets said, Wow, I had no idea Richard O'Brien was in this. Mm, yeah, definitely was. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Richard still knows that he was in <laughs> Maybe he's blissfully forgotten about it. And finally, we heard from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures. Oh, hello, Serge. Who, as always, offered a sage summary. He said... Dungeons and Dragons, the one without a subtitle, is a big mess with a bare-bones script, weird performances and a bad case of plastic set syndrome despite the $45 million budget. Every element is just wrong and the result is a whole lot less than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. It's actually hard to summarise why it's so bad, though. It's not any one thing, but it's also not everything. Yeah. You can always tell what the filmmakers were going for, which makes it hard to resent the fact that it exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could pick out some decent scenes in the movie and some yeah. interesting characters but yeah for like 90% of the film it's just goddamn awful <laughs> yeah yeah it's not a complete disaster is it laughably bad oh, it, yeah, it, is, it is laughably bad come <laughs> yeah, on <okay. laughs> the blue lipstick is pretty tragic yeah yeah it's true yeah it's true <laughs> yeah no love lost mm. on Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but it was fun. It was fun. Yes. So what fun do we have in store today? Dan? Oh, I do want to have a quick shout out uh, to uh, uh, a friend at work that suddenly got into the podcast. Um, hello, Nick. I'm glad you're enjoying the, the episodes. He's he's now got a huge watch list of, of movies that he's going to watch before he listens to the episode. So hopefully uh, the movie we discussed today is on the list. Mm, well, better find out what it is then, Dan. Yes, yes. Hang on just a second. Ugh. Oh, wow, I'm in the nightclub Ooh. on the moon. 
That just makes it all the better. And there's all these weird people doing this kind of strange choreographed dance. <laughs> Very jerky. Oh, I think I found the movie on one of these neon lit uh, drinks platters. Hang on. All right. Coming back. Careful. That's a cryogenic chihuahua. Terrible music in that place. Oh. All right. So today I have uh, with me the 2002 sci-fi comedy action movie, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Yes, which was nominated by our patron Scuba Pete, who I think did it as a bit of a joke. Oh, really? <laughs> because it was Pluto Nash and Battlefield Earth, so I think we're being punked, Dan. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I I'm glad it wasn't Battle Battlefield Earth, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not glad. We'll, we'll talk about it. So this movie is directed yeah. by Ron Underwood, uh, written by Neil Cuthbert. Is that how you pronounce his name? Mm. Uh, yeah, and, so. and it stars Eddie Murphy, Randy Quaid, Rosario Dawson, Joe Pantoliano, can never say his name, uh, Jay Moore, Louis <laughs> Guzman, Peter Boyle, Pam Greer, and John Cleese. Oh, my. That's quite a lineup. This must be an amazing film. What happens in it? Well, today we are on the moon. I've mentioned that many times, uh, but the year is 2080 <laughs> and we follow recently released from prison Pluto Nash as he bargains with a crime boss to take over a nightclub. Fast forward seven years and the club is thriving, but a new big shot crime boss Rex Crater wants to buy out Pluto. When he refuses to sell, the club is blown to smithereens and Pluto, along with newly hired waitress slash club singer Dina and loyal android bodyguard Bruno are on the run to escape the crime boss's goons. Mm. Their adventure takes them across the dog-eat-dog -dog lunar landscape, dodging explosive gunfights, cringing at sexually exploited <laughs> made bots, until they reach the final conclusion at Moon Beach, the casino oasis. Mm. But who really is the evil Rex Crater? It's not who you think. We'll find out if our heroes avoid horny slot machines in The Adventures of Pluto <laughs> Nash after the break. <laughs> okay, and we are back to talk about The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Conrad, had you seen this movie before? I had not. No, I didn't recognise it in the slightest. I was only dimly aware of it until bizarrely very recently I read the autobiography of the editor, Paul Hirsch, oh. who I know mainly for working on A, Star Wars, and B, a whole slew of Brian De Palma movies. Uh -huh. And he had a chapter on Pluto Nash which went into some detail and was quite illuminating, shall we say, but I had still never seen it mm. before until now. Yeah. How about you? I think I'd caught bits of this movie on TV back in the day, but I'd never watched it in its entirety. I had no idea what it was about, apart from it had Eddie Murphy on the moon. <laughs> Watching it now, like a lot of great stars in this movie, Eddie Murphy, Randy Quaid, Rosario Dawson, I love, even though I haven't seen her in many movies for some reason, but she's great in the Daredevil series. Uh, she plays Ahsoka Tano in The Mandalorian, and she's in a bunch of other movies, uh, like Death Proof, Men in Black 2. Interesting seeing Pam Greer and John Cleese in this movie as well. John Cleese seems, at this stage of his life, he just seems to cameo or like have tiny parts in movies. Like he's never the lead post 2000. No, and he's sort of persona non grata now anyway because of his. Um, oh, his recent comments. Yeah, his recent views and comments are not great. Although I hear apparently he's going to restart Faulty Towers. Really? Yes. How old is he now? Right, exactly. It sounds like a terrible idea. The whole reason it's a classic is because they stopped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a throwaway cameo in this. Yeah. I mean, there were apparently a lot of production woes with this film. Yes. And a lot of it seems to stem from 
Eddie Murphy, is that right? Yes, and this is the thing that I got the most out of the Paul Hirsch book. I'm not exactly sure what the genesis of the movie was. It seems to have been around for a very, very long time. Mm. I found an issue of Starburst magazine where Rick Rosenthal, right. who directed Halloween 2, mm. he was attached to it. I think various directors were attached to it from the early 80s all the way through until 2002 when all of a sudden it gets produced mm. with Eddie Murphy attached to it. I don't know why he agreed to it or what about it interested him because apparently he asked for it to be rewritten so that it was played straight and then he said that he would bring the comedy to it. Right. But then the dailies were coming in and Paul Hirsch, the editor, is looking at them and saying, well, He's not bringing the comedy. Yeah. He's doing nothing. Yeah. Because this is a period in his career when he was riding high on things like Dr. Doolittle and The Nutty Professor. Yeah, yeah, This was yeah. sort of his family funny movie era. Yeah, I mean, Shrek also came out in 2001, so a year before this movie. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's at the peak of his funny. Yeah. But I guess he wanted to do something different, like a different approach to funny in this movie. But it is really surprising that he's not the funniest character. No. Bruno. Randy Quaid. Way funnier. Yeah, he's hilarious. Really good. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely my favourite thing in the movie is Randy Quaid playing this outmoded bodyguard robot that never blinks, Yeah, terribly literal and straightforward the whole time, so earnestly dedicated to his boss's safety. Mm but hopelessly inadequate and slow and sort of steams gently when he's recharging. <laughs> yeah. He's hilariously funny, Randy mm. Quaid. Eddie, just a charisma vacuum. It's all so low energy. Mm. There was one particular thing I noted. When his club gets blown up by this rival crime boss... It looks like the blocking rehearsal. Mm. He's sort of gently lowering himself to the ground because he doesn't want to muss his costume too much. Yeah. There's no energy even to his action whatsoever until the finale, which is a reshoot. Mm. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, so the dailies are coming in. It's not funny. The editor's saying to the director, Ron Underwood, who also can do funny, quirky genre movie. He did Tremors. That was his big call to fame. Right. It's just peculiar that Ron Underwood was like, oh, yeah, I don't know what to do. I make suggestions to Eddie Murphy and he won't do them. He says, oh, I've done that before. I don't want to repeat myself. I did that in another movie, so I'm not going to do it. So, yeah, mm. Ron didn't know what to do. The previews were terrible. And eventually Paul Hirsch got fired because against the producer's wishes, he did this sort of A-B testing. They had two previews within a couple of days. Uh -huh, so he did one uh -huh. version where he cut out a big chase scene at the beginning with a side character that he said, we don't need this. It's just slowing the movie down. Mm -hmm. And the version that he cut without that scene scored mildly better. Right. But because he did that without the producer, Marty Bergman's wishes, he was fired and they got another editor in and that editor's put loads of stuff back in. It still scored terribly at previews. So then they rebuilt the nightclub set wow. at a cost of a million. Wow. They waited six months for Eddie Murphy to be available again. And they reshot the beginning and the ending, re-scripted by another writer. Uh -huh. And then put the movie out. And the movie was the biggest box office flop of all time. Wow. At 2002. It had a budget of 100 million. It got a box office of 7.1 worldwide. Holy. Yeah, so. That's tiny. It's tiny. So inflation <laughs> oh adjusted, God. it lost $145 million. These days, it's not the number one. It's now 17th in terms of big flops. The top is John Carter, which lost mm. an estimated $236 million. Oof. But yeah, it was released. It landed 11th place in the chart in August 2002. Number one at the time was XXX. Ah, yes. Number two was Signs. Okay. Three was Blue Crush, Spy Kids 2, Austin Powers, Gold Member. So you can see sort of the tenor <laughs> of the movies that are doing well. And it sank without a trace after that. So a huge misfire it was considered at the time. It's just bizarre watching it. It just seems like Eddie's not interested at all. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also surprised how much sway he had. 
with how it turned out as well. Like, he just refused direction. Like, does that happen a lot? I imagine if you're a star with a particular cachet, Paul Hirsch's take on it was that initially he thought Ron Underwood was being very strong by being so flexible, but eventually he saw him as being quite weak in that he didn't mm. do something. Right. Hirsch's perspective was somebody, a producer, should have said to Eddie Murphy, either you're going to do this as a comedy or we're shutting it down. Mm. And they should have shut it down within the first week yeah, <laughs> rather yeah. than working on it for sort of two years, I think. Wow, really? Trying to get something out of it and you're just sinking more and more money. Mm. To me, it sort of reminded me, I don't like mentioning him, but Will Smith, After Earth, the M. Night Shyamalan yeah, movie. Sure taking somebody who's well known for their comedic charisma mm -hmm. and putting them in a movie and them having zero charisma whatsoever. Yeah, right. But in that case, I think it was the director's choice. Whereas in this case, it clearly is Eddie Murphy's because it looks like it's supposed to be a family action comedy. Mm. Certainly when the opening titles came up, the sort of cartoony. A very Space Jammy looking. It's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I thought it's Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's very uh, like fluoro and and vibrant and the music's quite uh, it remind me of like Men in Black yeah um, that sort of very brassy like family sounding kind of music as well yeah it's very up isn't it yeah there's no blood in the movie no. as well people get shot by these I don't even really understand how the guns work. <laughs> But they get shot and no one bleeds. They just seem to die. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's definitely aiming for a family audience. I don't know. There's a lot of sexism. Yes. And it's like quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Like watching back. <laughs> <laughs> the attitude toward women, I think, uniformly throughout the movie is appalling. I'm sorry. I know a lot of our listeners get a little bit edgy when we <laughs> put on our social justice warrior hat. Mm. But you can't deny it. It. Yeah. Rosario Dawson is wasted. Oh, wasted in this she movie. Is. She is. She doesn't have anything to do. No. And when when she kind of gets involved, they kind of push her aside. <laughs> like she grabs a gun at one point and like shoots all these villains. Uh, which is amazing. She saves Pluto's ass. Mm. And then the bodyguard just kind of grabs her and then pushes her outside, <laughs> which is like, what? <laughs> well, okay. they kind of do that action trope of useless woman tries to help but makes things worse because she's shooting the gun, but she's just sort of spraying it everywhere. Yeah, Because I know, she's never I fired know. a gun before, which I saw in a Jackie Chan movie recently, a movie I really like. Is it Armor of God, Operation Condor? It's what I always remember as being a really great action movie but it's he's got these two women as sidekicks in it who are just everything they do just causes more problems for Jackie Chan they're both screaming useless clumsy mm. disasters right. and that's kind of what they do to Rosario Dawson in that scene which well, is a shame yeah. the rest of the time all she does is say you're going to leave me here you're going to yeah. leave me here? Yeah. I think that's her one line that she just repeats over and over again. Yeah, but there's also a, a scene where Pluto kisses her, like forces mm. a kiss on her, and she just melts because she's just like, oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Like, was there any chemistry prior to this? I don't get it. Like, nope. in the scene where they go to the sort of body alteration clinic and they have this sort of preview of what their bodies could look like and he gives her like a bigger butt and bigger breasts and it's and she's just like trying to cover up her ginormous breasts and it's just like are we supposed to like Pluto Nash here? I don't know why. He doesn't treat her very well throughout the whole movie. I mean, that's played for laughs, but it's not, again, it's not funny. Mm. But there's a lot of objectification of women. There's a lot of nudity. Yeah. There's a lot the of... The maid bot that's mm. in his, like, moon base. She's just dressed as a sexy maid. And her programming is to just accidentally drop things yep. and bend over and pick them up. And oh, it's just really uncomfortable to watch. And also, obviously, play for laughs. And Dina Rosario's character looks at Pluto and he, he just kind of, like, chuckles, like, oh, whoops, I forgot about that programming. And it's like, 
but he doesn't stop it. And what I hate is the way that the film presents it, because on the one hand, you could have it as like, oh, you know, this is actually taking pop shots of the character and you as an audience are not supposed to like him for this. You're supposed to think, what an asshole for doing this. Yeah. Or at the very least, boys will be boys, but this isn't good. Mm. But the film's treatment of it, when she does it first, it's a wide shot. And when she does it the second time... I know, it's a close-up. We get a close-up of her arse. So the movie is not backing off Mm. and treating this for what it is, which is unnecessary exploitation of a woman's body. Mm. I really hated it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is a shame because later on when you can just hear her in the background going, oops, and dropping something, it's kind of funny. funny. That's funny, yeah, because of the situation. So they've just had their door blown in by the villains and everything's going to shit. And then you hear her in the background just go, whoops. Yeah, (laughs) it's It's kind of funny. I was waiting for it to have a payoff, like that later she would have some sort of grenade or something and drop it and just go, whoops, and blow up the villains as they came in. And so she would have served a a purpose, albeit a rather sad end for this robot. But the last you see of her, I think, is when the moon base is exploded and they have explosive decompression. And of course, all of her clothes get ripped off apart from her lingerie i know yeah it's not great it's not great it's not great yeah there's one other like very very uncomfortable sort of sexist scene uh when they go to the club and they meet up with tony francis and he's got two identical wives Mm. and then you find out he's cloned his wife so you can have two of them and i think one of the characters asks him oh how do you know which is which and he just says i don't care yeah like wow nice yeah I know. It's not good. And I don't get the sense from the film that you're supposed to laugh at. I think you're supposed to laugh with. Yeah. It's really horrible. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about the sort of futuristic aspect of this movie. Mm -hmm. I kind of enjoyed that. The sort of humorous look at the future and sci-fi it did remind me of a lot of films that came out around about that time like men in black and mars attacks idiocracy in 2006 and also did remind me a little bit of fifth element and total recall yeah but i enjoyed that sort of take it like the future is just silly yeah that we've taken all the wonderful gifts and abilities that new technology brings us and just commercialize them in the most silly and frivolous ways yeah (laughs) which i thought yeah we probably would yeah (laughs) you're not wrong and i like there are some funny gags in there that are sort of bitterly ironic in 2023 so at one point there are ten thousand dollar bills that are shown to have hillary clinton's head on them as though she's been president which of course is not true (laughs) and probably never will be at this point yeah um and there's also an advertisement for trump real estate up on the moon the trump billboard is definitely something would that would happen though oh yeah definitely (laughs) Although there are a few things that get slightly wrong, like the fact that they're still using AOL, America Online. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I always love seeing in in all these kind of sci-fi futuristic movies, like also in in Back to the Future 2 as well, where there's always video calling, but it's on a dedicated TV screen that they have to turn on with a remote. It's always (laughs) funny. No, nobody imagined that you would have devices that would just be able to do everything like this that you would want around even in star trek the next generation which sort of takes the credit for creating the ipad because people are wandering around with pads but they seem to be single purpose pads yeah they don't seem to be ones that can do everything they've got piles Mm. of pads like they're different books or something so it's yeah 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 yeah. quite got it right but yeah but there's a there's (laughs) a few other details in this movie like uh, self-driving cars yes um and and also having sort of an ai controlling a car as well um and and there are there are scenes where you see e-scooters people on e-scooters yes i spotted that yeah they weren't really commercially available in 2002 two were they no i didn't think so it seems like a relatively recent development that you see people scooting around yeah so yeah yeah, i thought that was fun i did also note that this colonization on the moon is also called little america so did america just owns the moon is that what uh, are there other parts of the moon that aren't america 
Maybe, maybe there's a little China on there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem to be. They seemed to be just Little America, the casino township, and then nothing else. Yeah. Just that. I mean, the vision of the future, I wasn't particularly impressed with the production design. To me, it looked, again, to refer back to Serge's comment, it had plastic set syndrome. I didn't believe it. It looked like a theme park to me rather than a lived-in environment. I didn't mind that purely because of the tone of the movie, because mm. it was a very silly, kind of not very serious movie. So it kind of matched it. If you had that environment in something like a Blade Runner toned movie, then yeah, it would look cheap and ridiculous. Yeah. But this kind of suited it, and it was not really cyberpunky, but it had that kind of very commercialized look to everything everything looked cheap kind of on purpose yeah like a lot of the cgi wasn't great in this movie but it, it kind of suited it it didn't i don't know i didn't i didn't think it was too bad um, i did find that the opening scene though felt very we're in a studio yeah we're on it does. a sound stage that scene with pluto and tony and the two like um rough dudes uh, about to pour battery acid down the throat of tony um that scene felt very flat. Yeah. Like, it's like, was this a good choice for the opening scene? Well, the opening and the ending were rewritten and reshot, so I don't know. And the ending's really flat as well. It's just like everything's resolved and Eddie Murphy as Pluto Nash just sitting in his club, music's playing. Yeah. There's some limp gag about Bruno being given responsibility to manage the nightclub. Yeah. And it just ends. It's a very happy ending, like too happy, like mm. everyone's fine kind of thing. Talking about plot, we have to talk about the twist. Yes. Um, seems very like, yeah, this is what Eddie Murphy was doing in all his movies at this time. <laughs> I just want to play all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was Nutty Professor 2, The Clamps, wasn't there? The Clumps, yeah. Clumps, that's it, yeah. There was one scene where he played his entire family in various ridiculous makeups. And obviously that was considered a high point of that movie. So they did another movie where it was the whole gag was him just doing that all the way through, I think. Mm. Um, and in this one, he's just playing two different versions of himself. At least the version of himself that's this ruthless guy that wants to introduce gambling on the moon seems to have a bit of charisma. But thematically, I know it's ridiculous to think about, you know, thematic depth in this movie. But they're not yeah. really using it for him to confront, you know, if you're going to have a, the twin, the sort of classical nemesis where he's coming up against a worst possible version of him with the moustache, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. usually to face up to the sort of the worst possible aspects of himself so that he can, maybe he's sort of struggling with who he is and how he makes his living and then he sees this really bad version of himself and he realises he's got to make changes or... Mm. I don't know. They don't do anything with it. He just seems to be slightly more evil, but not much. I don't really know what the difference is between them. Yeah. I don't know. They don't do anything with it. But I found with the twist being the bad guy is himself, it was just so out of the field. Mm. Like, it's one of those twists where it's like, well, no one was going to guess that. So it's not really a twist, is it? <laughs> it's just I don't like, know. Don't you think as soon as they mention cloning, you just think, okay, well, how's this going to pay off? And the only obvious thing I can think of is... Yeah. The villain is Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I mean, I thought the villain was going to be Tony Francis. Okay. But again, what was the motivation? Like, what is the motivation of Pluto's clone to be evil anyway? I don't know. Like, what makes him... The evil version of himself. I've no idea. What different struggles did he go through to become evil? I just didn't make any sense. He got cloned to manage this casino, and then he just decides, I'm just going to kill my boss, the other guy. I just, I don't know. It just didn't seem to make any sense. So the reveal was just like, okay, I guess that works. But I don't really understand how. No, me neither. The whole thing is so low stakes and uninvolving anyway. It's kind of set out to be like a private detective story where you're following Pluto Nash sort of uncovering this plot. So it's sort of like a 30s noir. Mm. But I can't connect the dots between 
how he gets from one scene to the next. Yeah, I mean, I I could follow it, but it, it did seem a little bit convoluted. Mm. So he he found the body alteration doctor because she worked with the cloner that would clone big bad guys, and I guess so. And and then there was there was also the chase with the villains. What did you think about the villains? Again, not particularly interesting or threatening. Me. Yeah, I was confused by the portrayal of the goons, the henchmen, mm. because they were supposed to be scary, but at the same time they were useless. Yeah. So it kind of negated each other. Like they, I didn't think they were a threat, but I didn't think they were that funny at being useless either. No. They didn't seem to go for anything, just sort of, I don't know, all of the movie just sort of sits there. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like nobody made a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just something that Isaac said about movies when we've talked to him, that this is a non-choice. <laughs> nobody has decided to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, it just ends up fairly limp. Yeah. I did actually like the world building in this film. I, I like the setting. I did like the premise. I guess it's just the characters and and just the motivations were a bit cloudy. And yeah, not as funny as it could have been. I definitely found Bruno and even James, so John Cleese's character, funnier than Eddie Murphy. Bruno is the only thing that makes the movie worth watching. Mm. Randy Quaid is really good. Jay Moore isn't too bad either as Tony. Yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah. he's pretty funny. Him in a kilt singing a ridiculous song about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> his father's grave being moved with an accordion at the beginning. I mean, it's what is this movie? It's a really bizarre way to open the movie, but it is strange. Yeah, it is yeah, very yeah. funny, and also, I mean, hats off to both him and Rosario Dawson because all the times they are shown singing in the movie, the vocal tracks are them. Yeah, right. I don't right, know if they right, were going right, for a musical yeah. thing. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have a beef with like seeing a live performance performance or supposedly live performance of a character when you can tell it's just like thousands of backing vocals and like double tracking oh yeah things. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that's just me being really really pedantic with with the portrayal of live music on on screen yeah yeah randy quaid i didn't realize he, he we've covered him very recently he was in the wraith yes that's right the the sheriff sort of guy yeah we liked very him in different that character He's great. He was so good in this. Yeah, he was really good in it. Just the way he talked his mannerisms. And, I mean, of course it's stupid and ridiculous. Like, he doesn't even resemble an android whatsoever. Um, and, and the fact, the only thing that make him look more robot-y is they just shoved a, a weird little sort of implant chip on the back of his head and that was it. Yeah. Like they didn't even try to make him look mechanical or have anything mechanical about him. But yeah, just the way his mannerisms and the way he talked, just hilarious. Yeah, he is very funny. And also the fact that he chose not to blink, I thought was very funny. <laughs> I noticed all the way through, even when he's shooting a gun, he doesn't blink. Yeah. That's quite an achievement. Oh, wow. There are a lot of great people showing up in this movie. Bert Young is in there as a mobster, and we've come across him in Amityville 2 ah. as the dad, if you remember. <laughs> That's quite right. some time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yes. You've got Ileana Douglas in there as Dr. Mona Zimmer, ah, yes. the cloning doctor. Alec Baldwin shows up as this MZM mobster. Yeah. I heard that he didn't want his name on this picture whatsoever because he didn't like it. Yeah. So he's completely uncredited. He's uncredited, but I mean, they're sort of suggesting retrospectively that that's him disowning it, but I think it was always meant to be a cameo. So I'm not sure that's ah, okay, fair. Yeah. I'm sure he's not impressed with the movie. Yeah. Pam Greer's in there as Pluto Nash's mum. Highly underutilised. Yeah, she's two scenes and has barely any impact. I mean, she shoots somebody at one point, which is really cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just wasted. Yeah. So the action. I thought the action was very clumsy. Mm. All the gun blasts, I, I guess, like plasma. Uh, what, what are they shooting? They're not bullets. No. But they do have to reload, which is weird. Like, what are they reloading? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Like, they run out of plasma or something. I don't get it. No. Um, and, and people are, are hit. They don't bleed. But also in, in the in the action scenes when they're shooting, it's just it seems like everyone's just blindly shooting anywhere. Yeah. Like, no one's getting shot. Or they're accidentally getting shot. And also the levels, the varying damage 
levels of the guns, I'm just completely confused. Yeah. Some of them are like cannons, destroying whole buildings with these handguns. Yeah, they're taking down like um, platforms and stairs and things, like blowing balconies yeah. off. And then other times it just touches characters yeah. in the shoulder or something. Yeah, I don't... Very confusing. It's very confusing. And that scene with the gun on the tripod mm. that just shoots by itself that doesn't reappear they don't talk about it you just see it happen and it's like oh that's a thing i guess yeah and i don't see it pay off either so it's just there yeah they just I don't, just yeah. run away yeah, I don't. <laughs> I <don't. laughs> yeah just very poorly shot action scenes yes now it's time for random trivia so dan what fascinating piece of trivia did you program into your french made robot today uh, yes. Uh, so there is a character we haven't really talked about, but he's one of the henchmen, goons of, of the villains. I think his character name is Kelp, but his mm. actor name is Victor Venado. Uh, apparently he's born legally blind. He's also a stand-up yeah. comedian, which I didn't know. Um, but supposedly he uh, got his first break landing a role in Elton John's music video, Recover Your Soul. Uh, released in 1998. Uh, in the oh, video, wow. he uh, he plays one of the sort of statuesque angel cherub figures. Um, but I mean, what's most striking about this actor uh, is he is a African-American, but he is albino. So he has a very yeah. interesting skin complexion um, and, and sort of face structure and, and eyes as well. Um, I did find yeah. in this movie they were a little bit distracting because they never kind of focused. So he always looked cross-eyed. Yeah, he does. Um, which might explain how they never managed to shoot Pluto Nash, I guess. <laughs> but uh, he is very striking as a visual image. And, mm. and uh, yeah, we'll talk in the Moobly Awards about how they use that, <laughs> yeah. which is a shame. Hopefully Elton John used it in a more positive way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you watch the video, it's from 1998. It's, it's very sort of, sort of the art house looking aesthetic mm. to music videos like lots of weird imagery and strange lighting and like everything's a metaphor like it does remind of me of course. losing uh, my religion from rem that's that sort of aesthetic to music videos of the time yeah and that's our trivia yeah one thing that i wanted to look at is from the perspective of what's known as high concept movie making mm -hmm. i read a whole book on this by justin wyatt oh wow this is a way that film theorists have described sort of a trend in commercial movie making probably starting from jaws onwards the summer blockbuster and right. and how you do that usually the way that people think of it is it's a concept that can be articulated in one or two sentences in a pitch meeting and afterwards in marketing to the public and that has broad appeal so spielberg said 25 words or less an idea i can hold in my hand you know like that recent film 65 with adam driver you just say it's pitch black but jurassic park right the replication and recombination of previously successful narratives that you just join together so it's got good audience recognition mm -hmm. so it's comfortable to a certain degree but a new combination mm -hmm. and this also applies to star persona as well mm -hmm. and the example that he gives in the book actually is quite telling he says for example eddie murphy as axel foley meeting prince charles and immediately you get a series of oppositions in your head, rich versus poor, US versus UK, black versus white, brazen versus reserved. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it just sets up this familiar, conventional, commercial element placed in a slightly different context. Mm, yeah. So you either get somebody who's playing to type, so Clint Eastwood in a cop movie is high concept, you know what that is, he's done it before, mm -hmm. or you flip it and it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger as a kindergarten teacher, yeah. or Arnold Schwarzenegger's pregnant. So <laughs> yes. you apply all of this high concept theory, which should lead to sort of a highly marketable concept movie that you can distill in a very simple image like Jurassic Park. It's a theme park, but with the bones of a dinosaur, you know what this is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is this movie? Mm. How is this a high concept movie? Paul Hirsch says, is Eddie Murphy on the moon? 
that could be funny. Mm -hmm. That's why he signed on. But it's not Axel Foley on the moon. No. It's more like Harlem Nights on the moon, which was uh, Eddie Murphy's attempt at directing a movie oh, right. from 1989, starring him and uh, Richard Pryor. And it's a 1930s nightclub set right. crime drama, uh -huh. which also bombed at the box office and afterwards... Eddie Murphy said, you know, I thought I'd try directing to see if I could do it, and I clearly couldn't. So he's never done it again. Right, okay. Um, I just thought applying high-concept movie-making marketing theory to this is is kind of interesting, because you can see why didn't it work? Well, because it doesn't tick any of these boxes. What is it? It doesn't. No. no. It doesn't know who its audience is at all. No. Yeah, I, because I think, in theory, this movie could easily work. Yeah. I think if they went full Eddie Murphy, just his normal thing, and they got him to do funny actual funny and not just play it straight yeah and they just went all out with like ridiculousness and even more sci-fi elements and like futuristic tech that is ludicrous i think it could have worked tone down on the sexism maybe yeah um. <laughs> give rosario dawson something to do other than laugh at his jokes and say mm. are you leaving me yeah yeah because i do <laughs> like the world building like i mentioned i i do like the setting of this movie i think it's great i don't see that many movies on the moon especially in this kind of like casino nightclub setting on the moon that's original that's something i would love to see yeah but yeah just not done very well no and it's very telling as well when all the side characters are just infinitely more interesting mm. than the main character yes and we've experienced that before yes we have that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so music. Music. John Powell. I love John. You like John Powell, don't you? I love John Powell. Yeah. I mean, he's probably most famous for the Bourne franchise. Uh, exceptional score for the Bourne Identity uh, movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I didn't realize he's done a lot of animation. Like How to Drain Your Dragon, Rio, Kung Fu Panda, Robots, Shrek as well, mm. Chicken Run. But he's done, like, action movies, Face Off, Italian Job, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, Hancock. So he's great. And he does – the score is good. It is very of this time. It does remind me of Men in Black a lot. A lot of brass. Very high energy, but still kind of wholesome sounding Yeah. at the same time. I think there's also some DJ scratching in there because, you know, it's 2002. Got to put it in there. Yeah. It's modern. I guess. I have to say, I hated it. <laughs> really? I didn't mind it. It is quite cliche watching this now, but it was of the time. Yeah, it was very much the time. I could kind of see what he was going for. It's very up. It's got lots of energy. But instead of doing what he does on things like The Bourne Identity, where he comes up with fascinating percussive elements mm. and doing interesting things with how he's recording the orchestra and messing them all up. And yeah, The Bourne Trilogy... Well, there's four of them, isn't there now? But he did some really innovative stuff in that and kind of changed the way that action movies sounded. It mm. was quite revolutionary what he did with that. Of mm. course, he's from the Hans Zimmer remote control stable. Is he? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a British composer. And he started off in remote control, collaborating on things, usually with Harry Gregson Williams as well and with Zimmer, mm -hmm. but ended up striking out on his own just because he's incredibly talented and he's done some amazing stuff. One of my favourites of his is United 93, oh, okay. which he did with children's voices mm. on it. I think it's his own child actually singing on it. And the final cue in that is just is emotionally incredible, the final cue in United 93, so much so they used it again on Captain Phillips, which meant that I was completely pulled out of Captain Phillips because I just kept thinking uh, this is a different bloody movie. Right, yeah, right. so I got annoyed. But yeah, this I did not like because it was him trying to inject energy and fun and family-friendly action-adventure into it, but with hip-hop drum tracks and scratching and guitar and... Yeah. Ugh, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> really I mean, it was cheesy and cliche I, I don't know especially that opening track 
it felt like, are we watching like American Pie here? What? Yeah, it, what? <laughs> yeah no, I know <laughs> what you mean. It sounded very much of a very sort of teen movie sounding. Yeah. It's one of those movies where they're obviously trying to sell a soundtrack as well. So heaps of songs, but not famous ones that I can remember of the time. Um, no, I think from the opening where it had like a rap version of Blue Moon. Right. I yeah. just thought, oh dear, I'm in trouble. <laughs> 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 I mean, for me, it just has kind of a more nostalgic quality because, you know, I was a teenager. Was I? Yeah, I was still a teenager in 2002. Right. Okay. To me, it just felt sort of late stage 90s Disney movie crap. Yeah. It just sounded really, really poor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. <laughs> okay. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Okay, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite lunar hopping parts of the film in the number of evil clone twist revealing categories. Best quote. My favourite quote comes from Rosario Dawson because I think it's sort of a meta quote that's quite telling and it's when we are introduced to Pluto Nash's mother played by Pam Greer as Flora Nash, I think. And uh, the quote is, um, I'm surprised you could pass for his sister, which ah, yes. made me laugh because the age difference between the two of them is 12 years. Ah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Eddie Murphy was 40 when they made the movie. Greer was 52. Wow. So she would have been just, 12. <laughs> exactly. She would have been 12 if she'd had him. And I think this says a lot more about Hollywood's attitude towards women over the age of 30 than mm. it does uh, about the great Pam Greer. Yeah. Um, but mm. there we go. I thought that mm. was hilarious. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, uh, my favourite quote is not from Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's, it's when they're, they're stealing the car and James, the uh, played by John Cleese, the, the, the AI is trying to prevent them from leaving. Um, however, they've disabled the alarm relay and then Bruno pulls out his gun and he and he says to the dashboard, to, um, to James, he says... So get moving, Jimmy boy, or you're going to have a speech impediment. And, and I just love the reply from John Cleese. Uh, he replies, good God, I'm being stolen. It's just great. <laughs> great delivery. <laughs> yeah, he is actually very funny. Best hair or costume. Uh, so the future, uh, everything is shiny. Uh, it seems yes. like just lots of shiny things, but there is one costume that isn't shiny. It's it's uh, worn by the cloning doctor Mona Zimmer, I think her name was. Um, oh right, yeah. Very strange outfit though. It's it's like a red top, like a long sleeve top, and then stripy pants. But there were just holes everywhere, just like yes, it's all these kind of slits and holes and all every part of her outfit. Just it seemed just not very practical probably quite cold yeah it's quite alluring yeah she had holes like in the in the armpits and on the side either side of her pelvis yeah yeah but i it wasn't even sexy it was kind of odd I, yeah that's the thing <laughs> i didn't find it sexy i just found it i guess this is a future yeah just fashion i guess how about costume hero costume for you for me it was hair uh, the award for hair goes to bruno the blonde centre-parted wig that he oh, wears when yes. they're sneaking into Rex Crater's hotel, <laughs> which makes him look like some sort of psychotic Andy Warhol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Most naughty moment. I just put the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I mean, 2000s for me is the fact that this is peak Eddie Murphy doing mm. movies where he's playing all the characters. Like, I don't know what what was this in this contract. So it started with The Nutty Professor in 97. And then, of course, Nutty Professor 2, uh, The Clumps, 2000. But then also Meet Dave, where he plays an alien shell uh, run, sort of controlled by little aliens inside him. So he's like a human oh. run by... So he's playing the human self and the little alien... Um, sort of controlling him inside. Uh, also in oh. 2007, Norbert, he plays his own wife as well. So he plays himself and his wife. 
dressed in as as a woman. It's, it's just like, oh. why did people let him do these movies? They're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and even in Bowfinger, the Steve Martin comedy, which ah, I kind of liked, yes. he plays twins, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Favorite scene. It's a favorite scene for me. Just every scene with Bruno. Uh, pretty much he's just amazing he steals the show in every scene every scene he does yeah i'd rather the movie were about him actually (laughs) but there we go i thought the car chase was quite fun oh yeah a a lot more fun than the car chase that's in ad astra where they're going across the surface of the moon shooting at each other but i actually thought that that was pretty good especially there's a nice gag that's sort of like i don't know an et callback but they go over the earth rather than over the moon. Oh, yeah, point. yeah. They fly off the cliff and you've got the yeah, earth they in go, the background. Yes, that's Yes, right. they go over the earth. I thought that was quite good. I enjoyed that. I, That was one action scene that I thought, oh, this is actually quite well done. This is exciting. Yeah. Most cliche moment. I've hinted at it a few times. Biggest cliche in this movie is evil albino. Uh, Poor yes. Victor Venado playing kelp. As you mentioned in the trivia, African-American stand-up comedian, very striking actor, great performer. He was used as a scary character in End of Days, the Schwarzenegger movie in 1999. That scene is is scary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know, pretty typecast. Hopefully he's getting better options now. Who knows? But um, I'm just thinking of other movies like The Iger Sanction, the Clint Eastwood movie from 75, where the the evil boss in that is an albino. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cold Mountain features an evil albino. The Matrix Reloaded, I think, has twins who were Mm. evil albinos. Right, right, right. In in The Omega Man, the Charlton Heston movie, all the zombies are essentially albinos. And there was even an evil albino in Vamp. Ah, right, yes. We'd covered on the podcast. Uh So, uh there we go. Evil albinos. There were quite a few action cliches in this movie. So, the bad guy being flung off a roof at the end to his death. The high fall death. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Pluto Nash at one point shooting while jumping. Uh, I always, I'm always <laughs> reminded of Hot Fuzz. You know, it looks cool. Um, at least in this one, it's in zero gravity. So, yeah. or not zero, but reduced gravity yeah, at least yeah. on the moon. So that's something. Best special effect. I quite like the the hover car designs, the self driving car designs. Like they they mm. took this sort of fifties approach to it. So they all yeah. look kind of like 50s gangster cars, but hovering. And also the door is just a, a hatch at the back that they have to climb through. Yeah, you have to go in through the boot. That doesn't seem very sensible, does it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I, I did like the design. Yeah, the design of them was really nice. And the thing that I was going to say is I I really like the miniature work because it's not CGI for large portions oh, of this really? movie. It's yeah 20,000 square feet of miniatures all the surfaces of the moon and the the landscapes and so on right Um, right they did look good i actually uh was impressed by that yeah so it was all overseen by a guy called mike joyce for cinema production services and uh yeah we've we've bumped up against his work before so he did space hunter Ah, recently he did that miniature work uh, he worked on The Abyss. He worked on Johnny Mnemonic uh-huh. um, and other some other titles like What Dreams May Come, which is a favorite oh, of yours, that. and The Faculty as well. So, yeah, wow. he's a lot of mini- miniature work because it's sort of that 2000s period where miniatures were still being used extensively mm. rather than pure CGI for everything, which tends to be the case now. So, yes. yeah, I really loved all of that stuff. Ah, yeah, yeah, it looked good. It did look good. Yeah. Favorite sound effect. I thought Bruno's voice was a really I good sound effect. I was going to say that too, yes. Yeah. Now, what I like about it is it sounds like a cell phone with bad reception. So you just get these occasionally these blocks of data that just get looped for a short period of time. And then it carries on, which kind of reflects the fact that he's a old yes. and maybe breaking a little bit yeah but it's not too robotic i really liked it i thought it was nicely yeah. judged it almost sounded like um like it had auto-tune on it but mm. the auto-tune was 
was old, <laughs> like it had a very <laughs> analog quality to it. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought that was really nicely done. Most funniest moment. Yeah, all the funny scenes for me are all the Bruno scenes. So, uh, yeah. so there's one scene where where he's run out of battery and um, a character finds him and he, he has to jump start. Bruno <laughs> and he's got his jumper cables and he attaches one to his ear and then one to like a contact point that seems to extend from his groin and I know it's like <laughs> such a cheap cheap joke but it's hilarious jump starting <laughs> a robot from his groin uh, it's, yeah it's so good it's the look on Randy Quaid's face yes, when he does it, it is it is the absolute <laughs> look of like shock and and uh yeah discomfort <laughs> extreme discomfort yeah, i do love that yeah i would agree it's, it's basically whenever randy quaid is on the scene it's it's funny but to give other actors their due i actually thought that kelp so victor venado the character we were talking about earlier uh, the moment when it, he's got like a rocket launcher in the car, in the car, they're yeah. preparing to assault the bay, the moon base, and he just bends over, and the rocket drops out and hits the ground, <laughs> and everybody freezes and just looks at it to see whether like this is their last moment uh-huh. alive. Yeah, yeah. But it's fine. <laughs> There's just something so delightfully awkward and hilarious about it in the beginning of this action scene that he just drops this thing. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. All right. And that's our mood, please. Yes. Hi, this is Lotta Lusten, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Oh, yes, it's that time for the final verdict. Should 2002's The Adventures of Pluto Nash be liberated from its Oubliette prison to be unleashed on audiences, Earth, and Moonwide? Or should it be blasted <laughs> with plasma guns by its evil clone and be thrown back into the darkness never to be seen again conrad what's your final verdict for pluto nash well i went into the movie with a blank slate i didn't know much about it other than the fact that it was generally known as this major flop of a movie Uh, but i thought i'll go in with an open mind maybe it's a completely misunderstood gem that just didn't find its audience at the time but i just don't understand what they were going for Mm. at all just looking at how you come up with a high concept mainstream movie none of this makes sense Mm. and even less so when eddie murphy seems to be determined to be a charisma vacuum looking at his watch throughout the whole thing Mm. its plot is not particularly interesting thematically the the idea that they come up with the fact that he's fighting against himself they don't do anything with it he has no arc it has a horrible attitude toward women throughout it looks plasticky the soundtrack's got some horrible noughties rap and (laughs) record scratching i just don't like anything about it at all the only thing that redeems it really is the side characters it's two robots oddly enough it's mm. the the ai in the car played by john cleese and most importantly randy craid as bruno who mm. is just a treat but other than that everybody else amazing cast completely wasted mm. um some you know just a hundred million dollars worth of craftsmanship and skill put into creating a completely dead on arrival movie that has very little to recommend it and very little entertainment value um, I think it's quite happily just slipped back into the oubliette, yeah. I'm afraid. Might be a cliched answer, but I just can't find anything to recommend. I just can't, mm. apart from Bruno. Mm. Apart from Bruno. Well, yes, yes, Bruno's great. <laughs> uh, I I would say, like, the first time I watched this, I didn't mind it, actually. I thought it was actually, uh, I mean, for me, the adventure genre in the film I really love I just always have a soft spot for kind of adventure like oh we have to go here and here and here and here and here and we meet all these interesting and colorful characters along the way um yeah so I like that aspect I did like I like the world building and then sort of the premise and on paper I think it would definitely work I think if they've remade this movie I think it could work um and yeah like you mentioned great side characters but yeah, not that funny. Like, we've got 
Eddie Murphy at, a, at the peak of his career not being funny? It makes no sense. It doesn't, it just doesn't compute. Um, watching this movie a second time, oof, not good. Really not good. Like, it, it just doesn't, the more you watch it, the more you see, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Or that's like poorly shot. Or like, oh, I don't know about them themes about this movie or like <laughs> yeah objectification of women so i would have to agree i gotta throw it back in the oubliette but at the same time i didn't hate this movie watching it the first time i did still no. enjoy it but i don't think i would ever recommend it to anyone especially no. not woman <laughs> no i i i have to say i watched it with a growing sense of horror as it continued so yeah it did do very well mm. with me right at all right but i guess we better check with our patrons oh just yes of for course of final course. final verdict yes yes well i've upgraded the system now i've actually added an ai so oh, that we cool. can uh, <laughs> get it that way yeah so uh <clears throat> hello hal yes conrad we'd like the final verdict from the patrons please would you like to go outside in a pod to investigate a malfunctioning piece of equipment first no no that's fine just the final verdict are you sure no really don't Put yourself out. <laughs> Our patrons have decided to throw the film back into the oubliette. Uh, there you go. It's oh, unanimous. Wow. The patrons said, throw it back. Ah, the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yes, Filippo said, I saw this once. Eddie Murphy on the moon, I think. The only thing I remember is how badly it did at the box office. And you know, I think the box office got it right. Mm. Eddie Coulter said... This one needs to be left behind on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> I tried to give it a rewatch this week to give it a fair chance since it's been a while since I've seen it. I gave up after 30 minutes. Wow. I like Beverly Hills Cop 3 more, and that says a lot. Oh. <laughs> mm, it does indeed. And finally, Chazilla said, I watch Pluto Nash especially for this pod. I'm really sorry, Chazilla. <laughs> Um, I gave up on Eddie Murphy after The Golden Child. He's been phoning it in since Beverly Hills Cop. They put two of him in the final act of the film and it still didn't add up to one mediocre actor. Shoot Pluto Nash out the airlock. Oh, so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, there we go. Face is sealed. So, I guess it goes back in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, come here, you. We've been wow. throwing a lot in there, Dan. Mm, uh, yeah, I think it's been kind of pretty even with uh, the throwbacks mm, yeah. and the, the sit freeze this year. Yeah, so far. Yeah, but uh, what are we going to be uh, deliberating on next episode? What are we going to sit free or throw back? Well, we noticed that there's a new movie coming out called Renfield, which features Nick Cage in the role of Dracula. Uh -huh. So we thought it might be fun to have a look back at a uh, previous example of this. So we will be looking at the 1988 American black comedy horror film... Vampire's Kiss. Oh, this is notorious. I haven't actually seen this movie, though. <laughs> no, me neither. It stars Nick Cage, Maria Conchita Alonso, Jennifer Beals, and Elizabeth Ashley. And it's, um, yeah, I've never seen it. I've just seen, like, snippets of Nicolas Cage's performance in it as memes. Yes, But yes. I don't actually know what the movie's even about. No, so, no, me neither. So this is going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be a <laughs> lot of fun. It is, yes. But if you want to stay tuned to our future fun with Nick Cage, uh, you can follow us on our socials. Uh, we're everywhere as Movie Oubliette. And you can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, and if you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate films for us to feature in future episodes and get access to extended portions of the show. And for $5, you can vote on the final verdict to decide what happens to the movies. Could be the deciding factor. Ooh. And for $10, you can be an executive producer and get behind-the-scenes exclusives like our friends Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, and Isaac Sutton. Ooh. So, yeah. Great yes, way to support yes, the show. Yes. Keep us on the air. Mm. We've also got merchandise at Redbubble and a YouTube channel uh, where we delve into video essays 
numerous franchises. Mm, yes. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us on a, on this journey to the moon. Uh, yes. Until next time. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye for now. <laughs>